Welcome to Empowered Conversations. I'm your host, Susie Petrozzi. This podcast will take you on a journey of personal growth and self-discovery through conversations with special guests that will inspire you to live the life of your dreams. Get ready now for an Empowered Conversation. Hello, hello, and welcome to another Empowered Conversation. Um, I'm so excited to start. Um, I'm having a great little chuckle with my incredible guest, a very special human being sitting right here in front of me. His name's Rob Labasso. Rob Labasso, welcome. I'm so grateful to have you here. Now, for those of you listening, what you can't see is the setup in the room in my office here in Leichhardt. Um, He's, I'm going to, I'm going to get Rob to introduce himself a little bit in terms of what he does, but there's a great big setup here. There's amps, there's guitars, there's, we're going to have some fun today, you guys. I love, I love how you've done everything in plural (laughs) because nobody can see. And in truth, there's only one amp. There are a few pedals on the floor All right, and one us. guitar. <laughs> but you know what? You have to understand that this is not a common uh, occurrence here in my office every day. So, um, Rob, let's just dive in. Tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What the heck do you do? <laughs> I think I take the piss, basically. Um, so <laughs> That's fine when I play reason, full mood. The, that's right. The, <laughs> reason, the reason why I'm here is because you – asked me if I would be at all interested in doing a podcast. And I said, yeah, "Yeah, can I bring my guitar along? And he said, yeah, why not? And I said, okay, no problem. I'm keeping that in mind because I know you you didn't know what to expect. I have no idea what to expect. I have no idea where we're going with our conversation today, but I am excited. That's right. That's That's like music. Yeah. So music, you don't know where you're going. So tell me about music, your journey with music. That started when I was a kid. Um, my very earliest of memories, although faint, were um, listening to the likes of artists like Carlos Santana, uh, Peter Frampton, Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, Led Zeppelin, mm. um, all those guys. And that was because my uncle was staying with us at the time. And so I, and he was staying in our room. So we, my brother and myself, had a, a bunk bed, and um, my uncle had his single bed. And so um, it was just one of those fortuitous situations where you get an insight into somebody else's life that's a little bit older than you. Mm. And I didn't realise, I mean, like we were having a conversation before about my daughter's not liking the stuff that I do, right? But I didn't realise back then um, that it was going to immediately affect me, like music, that is that particular kind of music or music yeah, guitar. Ah, okay. The guitar and just the wailing nature of a guitar. I mean, the guys right. that I mentioned before, like the Peter Phantoms, awesome the music. Jimmy Pages, I mean, the Carlos Santana, right, uh, Richie Blackmore, and the like. It was just, I don't know. It was just this thing that I was just completely drawn to, mm. and and set up a few um, obstacles along the way to learning about the guitar as well. Um, what do you mean by that? Set well, up primarily because I was I was always I was always focusing in on the guitar solo, so mm-hmm. I really didn't care about the structure of music and how to make it. And you know, I, I could ah. just if somebody were to present something to me as uh, a backdrop, I could just go, and that was rather natural. Yeah. Wow. All right. So it all started um, on one string. 
So having your uncle stay with you, being exposed to that music unraveled something inside of you. Oh, it was like an on button. Mm. It was immediate. Mm. And I can remember distinctly going through this period of, you know, busting my mum and dad's chops about get me a guitar, get me a guitar, get me a guitar, get me a guitar. And the first guitar I got was a, I suppose it was a baritone ukulele thinking back at it now. It was rather <laughs> big, but then again, I was rather small. So uh-huh. I was about seven uh-huh. years of age, right? Uh-huh. And um, she, my mum bought that ukulele slash guitar, whatever it was. And um, I played it for a bit, mm. um, but it didn't do what I wanted it to do. I remember it didn't do what I wanted it to do because it was a ukulele. It was an acoustic instrument. Man, I was listening to, you know, feedback and distortion and and just this artistry upon an electric guitar. Yeah. So um, it wound up going underneath the bed after about mm. a month or two. And there it lay for about another year. Um, although my interest in music Guitar music and guitar solos in particular, and electric guitar, didn't wane. It increased. Mm. And so after so, further pestering, they then got uh, me my first electric guitar, uh, which wasn't electric guitar at all. It was a plastic <laughs> battery-operated <laughs> piece of, yeah, whatever. Um, so it wasn't what I expected yet again. So I'm at this point zero for two. And it kind of makes up, I mean. How old were you at the time? Eight. Eight. Okay. So a year later, you got year that. later. Okay. All right. And I destroyed that because I knew it wasn't the real thing. I destroyed that within a month. I pulled it apart. Uh-huh. So I'm going, this is not what it should be. And that's just me. Yeah. I, I had a very um, destructive personality if I didn't get what I wanted. <laughs> All right. So it was. It was it was okay, but again, it it was like you know feeling like you're putting an order in and you're not getting what you're actually asking for. Yeah. So um, then I finally got my first real electric guitar at age nine. So after three years okay. of pestering, right, or two years of pestering, I finally got a wooden guitar which you plugged into an amplifier, and that amplifier plugged into the wall, and you turned on, and away you went. And um, that came about because we went over to um, one of my dad's friend's houses and I ended up buying that house actually. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> and then sold it. But, yeah, I, I remember um, I was in the laundry with my brother and um, dad's friend's son and we were looking for basketballs or soccer balls or something like that and I simply saw – the um, the profile of an instrument, a guitar. Yeah, just sitting on the shelf. No case, no nothing, just sitting there. And I went into the kitchen where Dad was and I'm kind of like pulling on his shirt and he's going, what? <laughs> you know, so I'm trying to interrupt him without interrupting him, as it were. Mm. And he goes, uh, and, and I said, he goes, what do you, what do you want? And I said, um, uh, George has got, a guitar sitting in the laundry up on the shelf and I was wondering if you could ask if I could play the guitar, you know. And he goes, okay, well, so he asked and, and he got it down for me. His friend George got it down for me. And mm. I was besotted with that instrument. It was about probably about 50 years old at the time. It was, about, it was a 1950-something uh, wow. um, or 1940-something. Um, it was a, a 
like a box guitar, which is like an a, acoustic electric jazz kind of guitar. And so I played with that all afternoon. And I can remember when we had to go, I was in tears. Mm. No, I don't want to go. Mm. Well, at least not without the guitar. Yeah. And so um, eventually I got dragged kicking and screaming into the car and going home. Um, and I, I didn't forget. I don't think I forgot about it. My, my memory of this is very vague, but I don't think I, I forgot about it. So I, I would have let somebody know that that's what I wanted. Mm. And dad turned up with that guitar two weeks later. Right. So in a lot of ways, you know, after, after being zero for two, you know, all of a sudden I got exactly what I wanted. Mm. And I played that guitar. He got me an amp to go with it. I played that guitar for about two years, two or three years, and just figured my way through it. And then um, the electrics caught on fire and the guitar burnt to a cinder. Um, after that, I just you know, kept up the whole passion mm. of getting into the guitar. So, and always, go. Rob, always self-taught? Always. 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 Oh, always with the exception of about a 12-month a period. 12-month period, yeah, okay. But that 12-month period was more or less a jam after about six months. Okay. So. We're going to, you know, we'll, we'll, we're going to get to experience – what you know that first exposure to the guitar has done to you mm. in terms of how it's touched you at the core because the little bit that you were playing which was just a warm-up connecting I'm sure did something to me and John my husband who was here just before he left um but you know when we look back you know as you've shared your journey with music and how you came in contact with guitar electric guitar um tell me what has music done to you and what does it continue to do to you and also your students because you teach? I did teach and I, yeah. I, I forgot to mention that, didn't I? Um, so, yeah, so um, after 15, yeah, almost 15, 16 years of teaching mm. people how to play guitar, I think the teaching in itself came about because of the healing process that, guitar and music has been for me. Um, there was a period in my life where the music stopped, as it were. Mm. Um, and I went off and, and did other things. And music, although it was there, was just never a priority. I put the guitar down literally for 10 years. And I want to know about that, Rob. Is that because you made a decision or is it because others made a decision for you? I mean – what was in you know what was involved in well, that? Well, the decisions of essentially the decisions are our own anyway, right? But if you grow up with a structure of belief which is centered around um, conformance or com conformity, is that right? Conformity, mm -hmm. yeah, conformity. So just going with the flow and, and not doing anything outside of the norm and, um, you know, getting a real job and this, that, rest and the other. I think that um, I tried very hard, like I was saying before about being zero for two for the guitar and all of a sudden getting the mm. guitar. Mm. Um, I can distinctly remember at 15 and 16 going home with permission slips for work experience and having gone out of my way, I, I, I would have called that now due diligence. Mm. 
mm-hmm. where I'd set up my own work experience at the local guitar shop. And both times um, my parents said no. And I just had to cop and swallow that. And the first time it was go out to um, a mechanic's, his mechanic out at Rockdale. So he would, you know, take me with him in the morning and go in the afternoon. But, you know, that was um, – that lasted three days before I um, I got into a, um, an argument with the owner of the mechanical business because he called me a wog. Uh-huh. And I just snapped. I walked out and I went down to Dad's factory, which was just down the road and across the road, and told him what happened. And Dad – you know, Julie closed his account. I mean, so people, you know, don't often understand what the ramifications of other things. I think this guy thought I was just going to kind of like, you know, by this stage I was already pissed off because I wasn't playing guitar that week, mm. you know, and that's mm. what I wanted to do and that's what I'd set up. Mm. And so here I was in a mechanical workshop being the furthest thing from what I wanted to do. So, um, yeah, that lasted three days. And then um, the next year again, I got. Uh, I'd set up my week at the guitar shop, and my uh, my mum and dad said no again. Mm. This time they sent me to a panel beaters, and I just I didn't get it. But it obviously affected me at some point to the degree that I, I think I'd come to understand within that period that, um, and this is by no means the truth. The opposite, in fact, is true. But I'd come to this understanding that you don't get what you want. And you were 15. What, I was 15 16. and 16. Right, yeah. So I was already 16, you yeah. know, by this stage and where you're supposed to be kind of like putting your foot down, rebelling against the world and the rest of it. I mm. felt like I was being smothered for some reason. Mm. And I didn't know what that reason was about. You, you don't – you just see your parents as being absolute – shits at that stage Mm. yeah um a lot of people don't okay i did and that was because i i i I really felt like i wasn't being allowed to do what i wanted to do and i couldn't see the harm that was causing me or anybody else except to say that later on i think it was a a one word offhand comment or sorry a one a one sentence offhand comment that my dad said that my dad made where he said no son of mine is going to get involved in sex drugs and rock and roll mm. and ironically enough um none of the above happened until that 10 year hiatus <laughs> so was this okay so just to kind of go back so 15 16 you made that decision around I was you good. can't get what but you- I, but I was good at what I did the only person that didn't believe I mean I believed the hype in the sense that you know people would come up to me and say man you, you, you know you just you know blow my socks off you know and there were opportunities everywhere but I didn't know how to take those opportunities uh. because deeply within my subconscious mind mm. um I'd already kind of like I I I, I bought what they tried to sell. Mm, those, yeah? those faulty concepts, paradigms. And was that, you know how you talk about the 10 years, was that from that age on or did the teen, 10 years happen a little bit later? I got, to, eight, I got to 18 mm-hmm. and then it was go out and get work, right? Mm. So, again, I'd lined up, I want to work in the music industry. I was 18. 
I want to work in the in the music industry and you know I was going to go and work at that guitar shop. This is the third time, right? And that's where the comment came out. No son of mine's going to work, you know, right, do yeah. sex drugs and rock and roll. So I remember winding up at the Birkenhead Point Tavern and I got reasonably drunk and it was a Thursday early evening <laughs> and I was, reason- I was reasonably inebriated and I was hungry. So I went across the road to the bakery across the road and I bought a big, you know, cheese and bacon roll or something like that and there was a sports shop on the corner and I had um, uh, an apply within for a job on the door. And I thought, well, let's go and apply for the job. Let's go and get the job. I was pissed off. Let's go and get the job and, and let's see what happens. If I get the job, we'll go home and we'll see how they think about that and how they feel about that. Going, you know, from, from this guy that's, you know, wanting to do music to the guy that is going to go and sell sports shoes, for God's sake. I mean, to me, that was like a, a down step. Was that on the whim, like out of resentment? Totally. Yeah. Got the job, stayed there for seven years. So, yeah, but I remember going home and, and, and telling them that I got the job. And um, they were like ecstatic. I couldn't figure it out. The two don't even come close to being expressive, to being real. Like they're light years apart. You know, one here I am. Yeah, okay, I'm providing a service, but it's custom service. It's kind of like it's it's shitsville because you're smelling other people's feet literally all day every day, right? And you develop a bit of a um, a salesman's mentality and I think my consciousness or at least my idea of um, what life was at that point changed. It went from something, the music always felt real. The music always felt um, connected mm. to people, to nature, to the universe. Mm. It never felt disconnected from it. And yet, you know, going and doing a a six-day-a-week job at a sports store felt very disconnected and very very, uh, quota-orientated, i.e. you had to make certain sales figures for the day, for the week, for the month, da-da-da. And my consciousness shifted, um, but not where I suppose I wanted it to go. It just kind of went into what – I want to say normal people, right, Um, and how they think – about the world at large and as, as much as I don't want to kind of like throw most people into that situation where they do not think about anything other than themselves and their personal gain, they do. That's what's going on. Did you get cynical? Totally. I'm cynical now though, but in a good way. Mm. That um, was the difference. I won't put up with bullshit. Yeah. But – Especially when you see that going back to your comment about the guitar that you got, the plastic one, mm. it's not doing what it should do. Mm. Why? Question it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I got to a point where I stopped questioning uh-huh. and I accept. And that was like a, a prison sentence. That felt like a prison sentence. Mm. So you, know? you did this for, you said seven years you stayed in the job? Five years. Five I, years. Yeah, seven, seven, seven years was probably when I, when, if I think about with the, with the work experience and stuff like that, it was a mentality that shifted, right? So it was kind of like it, it, it felt like people were trying to take me away from the vocation that was, um, that was always there and obviously there for me. 
So no, you didn't pick up the guitar during that time, or was it was it in the background? When I got to nineteen, literally when I got to nineteen, yeah, I put the guitar down for ten years. Wow. I, I even remember um, because I had a restaurant in between that period. So you know, I worked at the sports store, and then by the time I was twenty five, twenty six, I um, got out of the sports store and opened up. Uh, a restaurant over on Coogee Beach, and I remember—I even remember digging my old guitar out and loaning it to my chef, wow. who wanted to play guitar. And you know the irony of it. So, so okay. So you know, as I listen to that story, in the eyes of your parents and many other of that generation, you would have been like, "Wow, he's done well. You've opened up the restaurant. You're working. You're saving money. Presumably, completely, completely the opposite." Yeah. Completely the opposite. Everything went to shit. I felt completely lost. Mm. I was ripped off by my own staff. Mm. Um, I was ripping off people in lieu of that. Um, I became this ugly, ugly persona that I never wanted. I, I never thought I could become. But I developed this strategy, <laughs> and this is going to sound pretty harsh, but I think that this is, where the, this is where the revenge takes place, right, that you make sure you get everybody else before they get you. Mm. So you go at it, at it with that mentality. So s- sorry? Oh, so, you know, immediately when you say that, I think walls, barriers, defence mechanisms in place because that's what yeah. we would do, right? That's what we do when we feel people are yeah. there to get us. Yeah. So, but this then turns into a bigger problem, especially if you've then got the predisposition to be down upon yourself Mm. first. Mm. So where I was confident, Mm. then I lacked confidence. The, when I was a kid, the confidence was all about me being happy. Yeah. It was all about me loving the existence of life and just being a happy-go-lucky kid. All my earliest reports says, said that Rob's a happy-go-lucky kid. I'll never forget it, right? And then come into my teenage years, something shifted. Mm. And that was if Rob would put effort in, Rob would be this, but Rob wasn't putting in effort. I'm speaking about me in the third person, but mm. um, it was what was on my reports. So I kind of started to give in to this notion that I couldn't be what I wanted to be. I think that's what it is. Mm. And so then the negative, sorry, the chatter, the, the internal dialogue, the monologue that you're hearing inside, yeah, um, is very destructive. Mm. You don't win. There's nothing you can do that wins. So how long did this go on for? Till 28. 28. I lost everything. Uh-huh. I remember winding up at La Perouse, um, and only a few people know this, so now I'm sharing it a podcast. Um, and I was at the end of my rope. So it was me burning a clutch on the edge of a cliff at La Perouse. Oh, wow. Um, trying to figure out, do I drop the clutch or do I hang around? It was... It was numbing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't scary. I'd gone beyond the fear. Mm-hmm. I kind of felt like I'd lost. Mm. So 
the only two questions that I had were, do I show up to school the next day with a bad haircut or not? How old were you? 28. 20, of course. Uh-huh. And when you say school. Oh, no, I was just using that as a – Right, you know, gotcha. When, you used to, uh, when we were kids, yeah. right, if you used to get a bad haircut, right, right. the one thing yeah, you never yeah. want to do was show up at school yeah, the next yeah, day. Yeah. In actual fact, you'd like to hide away for the next four weeks while that hair grows back, mm. especially if your mum gave you a crew cut when all you wanted to do was to grow your hair. So I had the, these certain things that were going on within my life – from very early age when I was a kid, I wanted to grow my hair. I wanted to wear leather. I wanted to wear studs. I wanted to, you know, I, I loved heavier edged music. My parents must have been absolutely mortified mm. that, holy shit, we've got a monster on our hands. Because mm. they were, what would you say? How would you describe mum and dad? You know, Italian background, kind of working, hard work. Coming out here, coming out here after the war had nothing. Yeah. And so therefore um, – the way to get ahead back then was partly work your ass off, but also make sure that you don't rock the boat. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. I yeah. resonate with that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you, you do migrant. it, you, you kind of like, that's the road that you walk, mm. right? And so, you know, there was no one in my family, in my immediate family that I can even think of now, except for my great grandfather who played an instrument. Ah. So back in Italy? Yeah. Like, mum used to say that her grandfather, um, had a shed, like a little um, cabin high up in the hills. That You'd walk into that cabin and the whole place would be strewn with guitars. Oh. Right? So that's my connection. I know that that's, that's my totally connection. totally a connection, right? Right? But on there's your- no one But there's no one in between on either side of the family that actually plays an instrument. Right, yeah. So it was just you. Now, okay, going back to the moment at La Perouse because that was that – was- Pivotal turning point. Yeah, scary, but you weren't scared. You you were I'd more already, like I'd, I'd already lost everything at that yeah. point. It was it was contemplating the complete loss of the business and that I'd had to sell the business at at a loss. Yeah. There was no way I could sell my business at that point in time mm. for profit because I was only two and a half years, three years into the business. I overcapitalized on the expenses to to rebuild the place that was there. Um, I didn't. I didn't kind of like take into consideration the incredible volatility in trade, right, on a beach, like mm. the seasonality of it all, and that you would lose seventy five percent of your income during the colder months, and that you're really only working for three months of the year. You might as well shut the doors for the other eight months. Mm. You know, the other nine months, eight months, nine months. I can count. Mm. Um, yeah. So, um, I got hit with all these sudden realities that what I did was a waste of time, a waste of money, Mm. and a waste of my life. And I felt, yeah, like I was just at the end of my rope. But somehow – Made a decision. I couldn't bring myself to do it. So maybe the, in there I was scared, yeah, because I couldn't bring myself to do it. Mm. And it, it was just something that I remember putting the putting the gear stick in the neutral and pulling the handbrake, and then took my foot off the clutch. Mm. Mm. You know, so. Wow. Well, I'm glad that happened for you because here we are sitting, right? And and I'm yeah. I mean, like, I wouldn't so, have I wouldn't have had it any yeah. other way in retrospect. Yeah, because. So much began to turn that moment. So tell me about that, yeah. Um, 
because that was a decision in that point in that time, right? Yeah, and there's and there've been a few pivotal moments um, after that as well, mm. which are really clarifications of the decision that you've made mm. um, along the way, and mm. never forgetting where you came from, right? So the humility of it all, yeah. Mm. Um, so after that, it was um, accepting that I had to tie up all the loose ends with the business and get out. I walked out with a debt. Um, debt and me have kind of like walked hand in hand for for such a long time mm. and it pisses me off. I don't believe that. I mean, like any debt from a um, – on a spiritual level is enslavement because mm. wherever that debt lays, it feels like that owns you, that shackles you, you know. And so, you know, at first it was kind of like, okay, well, let's let's just kind of like move on with it, you know, and we'll deal with it later. So that was that was a good thing. But mm. um, I remember um, having six weeks to do nothing, and in that six weeks, I went down to almost every day. I went down to the botanical gardens, yeah. and I, I found a I found a nice, comfortable spot, and it happened to be this old oak tree. How mythical, how yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Right? But there was there's an oak tree down there and um, I sat underneath this tree and I went down there almost every day and sat underneath that tree. And in there was my first, um, I suppose it was my first introduction to what meditation was. How so? Because I just sat there. I zoned out and a lot of it was thinking at first. Mm. But then I remember... Um, there were moments where all I would do is listen. Wow. You listen to the plane going above now. You listen to, you know, the, the people walking along the path. Mm. You listen to the birds. You listen to the trees. You listen to the, to the wind whispering through the trees, right, mm. especially if it was just a, a nice day. It wasn't windy. Some days it was really windy down there as well. Um, listen to the kids. And it was just listening. And and that for me was very calming. I did. I, I probably acknowledged that there was a solace that I was finding in that very early. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm one of these people that when I find something that works, um, I dig deeply, and I know all about it mm-hmm. real quick. Mm-hmm. Um. I was able to pretty much go into a state of, me- I suppose, meditation, right, on any given day in a very, very quick uh, period of time. Like I didn't have to – it didn't take me all that long mm. to get into that state where you just close your eyes and just listen again, right? And I'd sit there for like, you know, an hour and a half, two hours without moving and I didn't have anywhere to go. And then I remember – I started to ask questions within that state. Mm. And my first real answer came from that, which is, well, what do I do? I remember asking the question, well, what do I do now? Mm. I didn't have a job, didn't have any money, owed the bank. Um, I had to move back with mum and dad, all that sort of, you know, degrading stuff. Mm. Um, You go back tail between the legs to hear your parents say, told you so. Mm. Um, The only thing that, that, that happened was that I remember hearing for the first time, hearing myself say to me, 
just get up and move. Uh-huh. <laughs> that, that, that's all it was. It's just, it, it was a suggestion. You just get up and move. Mm. And that was the first time, not the last time, but the first time that I heard me. I say I heard me, right, because it's the, it's the higher self, right? Mm. Um, so I did. So then I, I, I ended up getting a um, – I remember looking through the paper at the time for a job. I just didn't know what the hell I could do. I didn't know what I was good at. And so when you're lost, um, you, you don't know who, and you don't know who you are, what job do you do, mm. you know? So the only thing that I could draw from in terms of experience was to go and, you know, pick something within sales because that's what I was doing at the shoe store, right? Right, yeah. So I wound up applying for for a South Australian company that made uh, alloy wheels, like mag wheels for cars. Mm. Um, Became a sales rep for them. I knew how to play that game because that's the game that I felt that mm. I'd come ac- become accustomed to playing anyway. So, but I used the confidence that I got from getting the job and feeling like, okay, it was a new beginning. Yeah. I got a boost of confidence there. So I drew from my experience of being um, a really good salesperson. Remember a couple of things from that that helped me turn corners. Mm. Um the confidence that I got from from getting back into work, I suppose, mm. was that I was able to draw from the experience of being a good salesperson as such. And I really understood that and I, I remember having to say this on numerous occasions because people would say, why do you sell so much in the wheel industry, right? So we'll do that. Okay, so you're there for six years. You're connecting with people. Yeah. You're genuinely wanting to help them. Yeah, but spiritually I was turning. Okay, yeah. So where were you at and where – I want to know about the past. So there was then- this one day. There was this one day where I woke up and I felt that feeling of dread again. Mm. And I remember looking outside and it was a beautiful sunny day just like it is now and I just didn't feel it. It might as well have been the darkest, coldest, wintry day that you just wanted to curl up and stay in bed and just, you know. I didn't think I'd ever get back to that point again, but here I was on that day and just I felt like I was wearing a lead coat. It's just dread. Mm. So I remember turning the phone off, getting up and resolving within myself that I was going to fix it that day, yeah. So I got in my car and I drove down the south coast. And in those days, it was good. You, you could turn off your phone and pretend that you were out of range, <laughs> 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 you know. So I remember winding up um, down at uh, Five Islands Road, which is, if you know it, um, is where the Nantian Buddhist temple is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I remember yeah. going there and spending the afternoon there and – trying to figure myself out again because I felt lost again. This one day I woke up and I just felt lost again. It was on the way back that I knew that I had to find something that made me smile just for the sake of smiling. Now, what is it in my life that I ever did as a kid that just made me smile? Because I felt like that's what was missing, Mm. that in a stupid way I'd almost felt like I was forcing even the smiling I was forcing the happiness. And when you force things, you generally push them away, Mm. you know, or at least they don't feel genuine, you know. Mm. So 
I felt like I was being less than genuine as a genuine as a human being. So going, you know, scouring my memory on the way back, and I remember I was listening to. I always listened to music. It wasn't that music went away, but I was always listening to music. And then it was like, yeah, when you get the, those aha moments, right? Oh, that's right. You know, I used to play guitar as a kid. You know, um, and when I did that, it was. I just I went off into this little sojourn as I was driving. So it was another meditative experience because you're on the freeway, but mm. you're not looking at the freeway. You, you're kind of like you're keeping safe and stuff like that, but your mind's just kind of going off into this distant memory mm. of who you were as a kid mm. when you were actually happy. Mm. Yeah, and that there were no strings attached to that happiness, that it was just you versus the laws of nature, if mm. you like, mm. right? And that you could do things to impress yourself with that would put a smile on your face, um, that I could learn things in real time, that, um, yeah, that it just felt comforting. And then I realized that I hadn't played for like 10 years. So being that I was back at mum and dad's place anyway, I remember going home that afternoon and pulling out and dusting off my old guitar from underneath my bed, the one that I lent out to the chef, right? I had this joy as soon as I pulled it out from underneath the bed. I was like a, a kid in a candy store again. Yeah. I was like, okay, so what do I need to do? Okay, now I need to go out and buy new strings and I need to do this and I need to do that. And the journey started. Did it? Wow. I was, like I said, you know, like kid in a candy store. So I'd come home from work and I would go off into my room <laughs> and turn on the amp and I wouldn't come out until 10, 30, 11 o'clock that night. And my parents, you know, thought there was something wrong, you know. Um, the thing that I was finding was that I was reconnecting with this this part of me that obviously had something to say and mm. that I resolved mentally within myself that I liked doing this every day that I would come home from work. And I, I felt like this balance of power was shifting mm. as to what I was wanting to do versus what I had to do as an obligation. So um, I was literally doing five to six hours a day after my seven to eight hours or nine to ten hours doing um, my other work, the paid work, mm. as it were. But um, I was getting good. I was getting real good again. And again, this is all just you and the guitar. And it's just me and the guitar. Yeah. It spoke, mm. you know. And I remember one day Dad swung the door open and I must have pissed him off so hard because of the volume, right, um, that he swung open the door and um, his famous um, – that there was one sentence that he used that just kind of like floored me because it was my – I think it was the worst nightmare – coming true um, and his statement was or his question was do you know that you sound like shit mm. that's a gut wrencher oh it's just like it, it yeah. yeah I, I yeah I, I was speechless I, I'm, I'm still speechless now mm. thinking about like how to describe mm. that feeling mm. right mm. Um, I remember I, I remember looking at him in amazement, surprise, astonishment as a father now. Because you've got two girls. I can't even begin to tell you what sort of fucked up mentality you have to be at to tell your kid 
that they're shit at something and mean it. Whether it's a jibe, whether you think you're being smart, being funny, um, clueless as to the effect of those words on another living soul. Mm. Clueless. And so there I was. I was in one moment back to where I was when I asked to, to do my work experience at a guitar shop. No. So what's interesting, here's, you were saying first time you're starting to feel, well, you know, after that 10-year period, a, a shift in the balance of power, but then dad comes in and says what he says, you know, about how, how shit you are. Yeah. So what happens then? So all I could do was look at him because I had nothing. I remember like literally just pulling the guitar off my, off my shoulder and just dropping it on the floor, literally just dropping it on the floor. And if it – Broke the headstock, it broke the headstock, but it didn't, right? But it just made – it just hit the floor with a, with a, like a crash. Mm. Um, picked up my phone, picked up my keys, picked up my cigarettes. I was smoking at the time uh, and pushed past him and walked out, got in my car and went for a drive for the next three hours. And in those three hours were the turning point in my life. Mm. I went through – uh, various stages. Um, I've come to understand. I, I think I've come to understand that day and and, and that period as being. Um, I, I've come to understand as the dark night of a soul. And the reason why I say that is because I felt like I'd gone through every conceivable emotional state within a very short period of time. Mm. So I'd gone through shock. Um, I think the next one was um, anger. This is specific to that situation. To that statement. Where Dad to said, that one yeah. statement. To yeah. that one. The one evening, right? Yeah. So I went through shock. Yeah. Got in the car. About fifteen minutes in, you kind of start talking to yourself and go, "How? Like, what? What just happened? Right? Trying to process. Who the? Who the? Yeah, you're trying to process it, right? So I went through anger. Um, then I went through. I'm sure I'm going to get him back, like on like revenge status type of thing. Um, then I went through sadness. Mm. Uh, and that led to self-doubt, which is maybe he's right, um, which then got me to my favourite um, place as a kid. I used to drive down as a teenager, I used to drive down to Valencia Street Wharf at Huntersville, and that was where I always used to go to think. And by this stage it was like I was in self-doubt, sadness, and I was back in anger. And... I remember um, having this very verbal conversation with myself in the car, nobody around, um, and saying things like, why is it that everybody else can have what they want? Why can't I have what I want? What, what's, what's wrong with that? What, what harm is it? And it's the same 16-year-old kid. What harm am I doing anybody else by making music, by expressing myself? Given the state that you were in in the car at that moment down at Valencia Street Wharf, mm. what what happened? What- so when I when I went through this, why can't I have what I want? Um, then I had remember that voice I was talking about. Yeah. So me came to visit me again, and um, it's good when that happens. Though. It is, and so well, what do you want? And I, I think I'd realized in that point that I probably never fought for what I wanted. 
but that meant I never really verbalized what I wanted, mm. which probably meant I really never clarified what I wanted. For yourself. For myself, mm. right? But that comes from, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? Mm. So a lot of that comes from watching people not get what they want, listening. Um, my mother, you know, to this day still thinks that what I do is a hobby. <laughs> and there was a, a point up until about three or four years ago where it used to really upset me that somebody, again, could – it's a hobby, yeah. what, which means go out and get a real job. Of course yeah. it does, right? Can I – just on that, on that, I really want to ask you this, right? I know that that's as recent as four years ago and what – like if she – I don't know, what difference would it make to you if she did support you but also what have you – what has it made you – who has it made you into the fact that she didn't support the or see that? The most supportive parent that I can be. You're the most supportive parent. I'm the most supportive parent gotcha. that I can be. Yeah. Listen, I never take what my gotcha. kids think for granted. I, I'm, I'm so acutely aware of, of, of not putting them into a situation mm. where they don't feel less than loved. Yeah. Less than loved. And I felt less than loved for the most part of my life when it comes to my mm. parents. Not because they didn't love me, but they no. didn't listen to me. They never heard me. They never saw me. The gift in that is being the father that you are to the girls who are going to pay way for what they're going to do here. Yeah. I kind of want to fast track from that moment. <laughs> this is really interesting, right? You, what, What's interesting about what you're saying, all those moments where you could have fought with your dad, where you could have rebelled, you, you just took yourself out and you gave yourself time to to process, which is, you know, so powerful. And you got to these moments of more clarity, each time more clarity. What happened after that and how did then your journey with music solidify? To close off that night, I remember going back that night and Dad was a really good cabinet maker. Mm. And I pulled it. We used to always make fun of there was this one lime green uh, bedroom suite that he made out of formica and vinyl, like from 1976. It was just Amazing. that period of time. Right? And so I remember, uh, you know, I know how to do this, right? I'm just going to go and give it back to him the same way he's given it back to me. So I'd mm. actually gone through everything, right? So my voice has said, well, what do you want? So I, I, this is what I want to do. I want to give it one good shot. Music is what it is for me. It always has been. It's always made me the happiest. Mm. It shouldn't be anything else because nothing else comes to mind and does it for me as mm. music does and the guitar specifically. And so I've been living that dream for um, ever since uh, February 17, 7.37 p.m. 2002. So there you go. Was that the night? That was the night. Yeah, yeah. That was the night. I'll never forget it. And so. So I went home. Yeah. I went into the hallway cupboard, <laughs> pulled out this old, old Vogue interior magazine. The old man was tinkering down in the, uh, in the garage. And um, as he did, right, and I walked in the garage, he just – you know, raised his head, looked at me, and you know, as if, as almost as if the impl- the implied look was, "Have you got something to say?" And just so happened, I did. So I pulled out this magazine. I said, "How the how in God's name?" I said, "I think I think I use stronger words, but how in God's name could you put your name to this ugly piece of shit furniture?" <laughs> All right, and he just started smiling, and then you know, uh, as as he thought about his response, um, I started smiling too because I knew that I'd come through something. I don't know. I, I didn't know I'd fully come through it. 
until he said what he said next. Mm. And that was, he said to me, turn around, he goes, I don't care what you think. I know I'm good. Nemesis, but hero. Yeah. Right? At the same time. And we kind of like. What a moment. Yeah, we had another one of those moments three days before he died because we both recognised that that was a charged moment. That was very pivotal Mm. to who I was, Mm. who I'd become. Mm. Um, And I turned around and I said, it's funny you should say that because if I gave you a guitar, you wouldn't know what to fucking do with it either. And that was the end of it. That was the end of it. That was the end of that. Started playing again. Um, I wound up in in several situations. The the biggest payoff for me um, ended up. I remember I was um, I was dividing my time between working for a sign company called Signorama and um, working doing this session for this. Um, this artist, and I was at the rehearsal studio f- like three nights a week, you know, for seven weeks, you know, and th- they were long That's sessions, long right? Yeah. And, you know, I'd be getting out of there at like three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning. Wow. And, you know, literally going home, getting changed and going to work mm. and, you know, doing this on a regular basis um, because we were, you know, editing and mixing and rehearsing and stuff like that. And then I remember sitting outside the uh, at the back this rehearsal studio and talking to the talking to the owner of the studio at the time. He I don't think he's um <laughs> I don't think he's a, a um, an incredibly philosophical or insightful human being, but what he had to say that night made perfect sense to me and it's something that I'd never looked at from a particular point of view. And it's like I'm sitting there, you know, whinging that, you know, I've got to go to work. You know, but I only want to be here. And he said to me, he goes, well, what can't you do in here? I said, what do you mean? And he goes, well, you can play. Said, yeah. And he goes, you can engineer. Said, yeah. And he goes, you can repair, right? Said, yeah. You can teach? Me? Teaching? No, I can never teach. Why not? You know more, more about the guitar and more about music than most people that have ever walked in here. Yeah, interesting. And, and that to me kind of went, oh, really? Mm. I can do like I can actually find four or five different income streams from the same thing. Mm. So um, this was at a time where where things were really tight, um, money wise. Um, so I was a, a lot of what I was doing was to to, to make ends meet as well, mm. right? But um, we ended up in this period uh, losing our house and. Um, me going through this metamorphosis. I remember with my wife sitting across the road once it was all done, across the road and, and sitting there and saying, you know what, at least we didn't lose us along the way, mm. all right? We can make it back. We can keep moving forward. And that was, for me- That was something. Well, yeah, because I was never going to be back in that place where I was at the edge of the cliff not knowing who the hell I was. Where are you at now? Tell me. Like you're teaching. You're- I'm teaching. I've got a wonderful roster of students. I And you love that. Yeah, I, I love that. Somehow the side hustle, which was the teaching, ended up being the main gig. 
And and Rob, like from what you've said to me, when you teach your students, you can see when they're holding back, you can see when they don't believe themselves because you've you've been through that. Yeah. And that can't escape you. Like you don't you don't let them No, I won't pass let that. I won't let them get away with it. Yeah. Because I'll I'll bring it front and center. And sometimes you have to do it in a way which is not um so obvious. Mm. And you have to kind of lead him by the hand a little bit more. But I mean, you mm. know, often these days people um, tell me their innermost thoughts in the little eight-question questionnaire that I give them before they even start. Mm. And they don't realise they're doing it. Or if they do realise they're doing it, maybe it's because somebody's bothered to ask them questions about why they want to do this. Um, tell me exactly what you want to achieve and don't hold back. Yeah. Because if you hold back, I can't help you. And so like yesterday, I got one back from a customer. Question is, what exactly would you like to achieve on the guitar and why? And please don't hold back on this question as it will help me determine how I can help you. To play and sing at a pub, maybe as a duo, I want to master something. Never in my life have I seen something through to a place where I'm happy. I always take shortcuts, procrastinate. I'm, in, I'm impatient and have a destructive internal monologue, which has gotten the better of me my whole life. I just got divorced, drank a stupid amount, ended up in rehab twice, and I look back at my life with a great deal of sadness. So much wasted time, talent, and money. I'm 38, pretty much halfway there. I want to see what happens when I actually put my mind to something. Jeez. That's what I do. It's bringing the core of himself to you. Um, That's what I do. Thank you, Rob. Thanks for sharing that. Um, Wow. Okay. And, you know, there's something about you. You have a pretty strong presence. You don't hold back in terms of being who you are now. I don't <laughs> think that can – yeah, you swear it, but that's part of who you are, yeah. right? Thank you. Um, and all of that then goes into the music. Music. Yeah. It becomes uh, a means and a ways of, of, of connecting. Um, can you look, take us on a little journey? So what I generally do – when I walk into my studio first thing in the morning is depending on how I'm feeling, Mm. I'll start off with say two chords. Yeah. And just bounce between those two chords. And it might be something aggressive. It could be something really kind of lush and soft. Mm. It could be something ethereal. Um, And you just build on those and see where it takes you. And so, you know, I could pick, say, two chords. So I'll pick that and just go into my looping pedal, which is a little stop box and just kind of go. loop it and just kind of like feel around what feels nice so at this point I don't know what's coming out it's really weird but I can tell you that as a human being that loves music and we all do this we hear something on the inside that is already musical like it's already speaking to us so as much as I'm not a great singer, but what I'll try and do is try and um, sing through the guitar exactly what it is that I'm hearing in my head. So this came to me as a, as a way through 
purely and simply because I remember thinking one day that I, I can't access what it is that I've got inside my head musically. So generally speaking, you'd always go to what somebody else has presented for you. Yeah, so patterns and licks and ways of playing as instruction that somebody else has, has given you. And I think we do this in our lives far too much rather than make it up our own way. And I never felt more peace and, and um, more um, happiness in playing what it is that wants to come out. Right? It's complete alignment. Like if you think about it, it's, it's the mind, the body and the spirit all in one. It's the Holy Trinity. Right? So what I think is what I sing. What I sing is what I play, what I act out. So it's, it's, it's literally, it's uh, the be, do, have. Yeah? So I might sit there and go... So, so anything that comes out of my fingers is not cliched. Okay, so I might start out and go... So I'll start off with something like that, but then I'll go into some distortion. Now I stop the singing because I know I'm connected. meandering right so it feels good then it kind of like feels like you're going off in you stop you stop playing from the heart you start thinking mm. right and so you got to deep dive again right so the way to deep dive again is to go into creative space so listening to that and going so now I'm going to use the layering technique
and then you just go off. Incredible. so much flow to it and then you just gotta land right okay so and that's how it starts off right and then you might be able to bring it back to something that's a little bit more sedate uh-huh it's like grounding back yeah wow your whole journey yeah it's fun but i get to do that every day um rob um we we, i gotta go (laughs) it's been incredible to have this conversation with you thank you so much you're more than welcome thank you for having me thanks for joining me today on empowered conversations subscribe to the show now and then head over to my facebook page Susie petrozzi for free personal growth and self-discovery tools that you can use today to be present be powerful and be on purpose. See you next time for Empowered Conversations.